Today on Ag News Daily. Necessarily intentional, but uh, the, the mission is the same, that we want to invest in opportunities that increase profitability. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp here reporting from the Ag News Daily podcast, and I am joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing? Pretty good, Madison. How about you? I'm good. I burnt my hand today while getting my chicken nuggets out of the oven. So you see, now if Mike I mean, was here, be if Mike was here, he would make fun of you for eating chicken nuggets. But I personally exactly. like eating chicken nuggets or chicken strips. But he told me I was a child one time because I wanted to eat chicken strips or I wanted chicken strips at some event that we were at. No, they're the best. Chicken strips is kind of one of the thing that's. If they're like, that's how you test a restaurant. If the chicken strips mm. and fries are bad, then the, the entire restaurant's bad. I like it. I always, that was like my go-to when I was little, when we went out to eat for dinner is <laughs> chicken strips or chicken nuggets. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yes, definitely. And what are the headlines popping out at you today, Delaney? Well, let's talk through the crop progress report really quickly here first, because we all had some estimates, right? So I think uh, I'm pulling those up. I jotted those down. So the actual numbers that we saw reported on yesterday's crop progress report was seven or excuse me, 83% of corn acreage has been planted where 60% of expected soybean crop has been planted. So that means, I think, um, I think you're the closest for corn acreage, and it looks like Mike is the closest for soybean acreage planted. So we've got that for us. We also, the uh, USDA Corps uh, counted for about 15.8 million acres that still have not been planted of corn, let alone soybeans we Still have a lot of soybean acres left to plant as well. And not only that report, but we also had a report come out this morning. The WASD report dropped this morning. And I think the huge excitement here that definitely had the core market excited today was the yield estimates. USDA did adjust the corn yield estimates for uh, 2019 for trend line yield there. As of the May report, they had it at 176 bush, 176 bushels per acre. Today, they dropped it 10 bushels per acre to be 166 uh, bushels per acre is what they're suggesting as trend line yield now. I was reading something today. I'm looking for that now. Where did I see that? This, I believe, is going to be then if, if we do hold true. And I think that's still a pretty conservative estimate, uh, you know, that doesn't really take into account all the acres that have been um, affected by all the water. But the last 12 Mm -hmm. months have been the wettest 12 months in 125 years, according to government data. And this would be the tightest production numbers we've seen since 2015 and 2016 for this growing season. So definitely some interesting things to come. That is for sure. It was 120. 12 years? 125 is that what you said? years. 125 years. What is 12 Oh my period? gosh. Yeah. I mean, we can only hope that the weather just is good uh, to yeah. us now. So to say that farmers this is a, and growers can yeah. really get that, get say, stuff in the fields. And, to say this is an abnormal year, I think, is um, an understatement. 125 yeah. years. That's crazy. Yeah. So definitely is. 
those are kind of the big pieces I pulled from today's report and the grain markets definitely reacted. It sounds like overall mm -hmm. corn and wheat had really the most bullish uh, sentiment from the report and soybeans were neutral to a little bearish. So, Yes, definitely. And, you know, here in the U.S. and the, mostly the Midwest, we're really suffering from rain. But Delaney, in China, we talked about this. I think Mike brought it up a few episodes ago, maybe. Um, China is dealing with army worms, mm -hmm. fall army worms, and they are actually working to combat that now. Unlike we cannot combat the weather, but they are trying to over there. They are deploying stink bugs. Um, and, and stink bugs are actually a natural enemy to the armyworm. And a mature stink bug can actually eliminate 41 fall armyworm larvae in a day. So hopefully they can kind of get that under control and we can see um, how that's because that has affected crops in 18 provinces provinces now, excuse me, um, and is predicted to reach China's Corn Belt in the northeast of the country this month. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I just, mm -hmm. I'm uh, excited to see what kind of new dynamic this adds to the U.S.-Chinese trade relationship, because if they do not get this problem fixed and it's maybe as bad as what they're kind of alluding to, then they might need to buy crops from the U.S. or other countries. Exactly. And, you know, they do say it's not just affecting corn. It is also affecting um, specific trees, cotton and soybean fields. So mm -hmm. hopefully we can kind of see that a more kind of help our trade discussions kind of move along or yeah, see how those affect those. Yes. Well, we've got some big news this week or could have some big news. Maybe it's going to be a non-news event. I don't know yet for sure. But President Trump and Secretary Purdue are heading to Council Bluffs, Iowa this afternoon to chat with farmers about E15, USMCA. I'm sure there'll, there'll be a discussion about China agreements. But kind of ahead of this event, Secretary Purdue issued a statement yesterday that provided a little more clarity um, with some details on the new disaster aid package as well as the new MFP payment package. So a few highlights from Secretary Purdue's statement. He did say that USDA has affirmed that unplanted acreage will not be eligible for market program payments, market facilitation program payments. So we knew that already, but he did say that the USDA may provide a quote minimal MFP payment on prevented planter prevented planting acreage that is seeded to a harvestable cover crop. So it sounds like potentially if you put a cover crop on some of those prevented plantage, planting acreage that you may take, you could get a minimal payment on that. Still details to be seen for sure. They also said that the prevented planting assistance that was authorized in the disaster aid bill will generally be limited to the areas that have had disaster declarations. So... Um, back in, uh, what was that, March when we had the, quote, bomb cyclone, a lot mm -hmm. of those Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Missouri counties had emergency disasters declared. So it sounds like those folks will be eligible first for that type of disaster aid package, but exceptions may be made on a case-by-case -case basis. And this will be applicable to farmers with or without crop insurance. So that has no effect on whether or not those folks get some payments. 
and then the size of the prevented planting payments will be limited by that $3 billion cap for the disaster aid package, but USDA said that they have the authority to compensate farmers at the higher of the harvest or spring price. So it sounds like still some question about really the price folks could receive for those affected acres. And then lastly, they are reviewing the November 1st restrictions for haying or grazing cover crops on prevented planting acres. Usually you can't uh, use those prevent plant acres or cover crop acres until November 1st, but because of all the wet weather and whatnot, we are seeing the USDA potentially bring that deadline or move that deadline ahead in the calendar year. So that's kind of just a little recap there. Secretary Purdue also Mm -hmm. said that he will be looking here over the next couple of weeks and hopes to really release the final details of how they're going to calculate those payments over the next couple of weeks. So we still don't really know yet the specifics for what those payments are going to be, but he did issue a, a quote saying, quote, exploring legal flexibilities to provide a minimal per acre market facilitation payment to folks who filed prevent plant and chose to plant an MFP eligible cover crop with the potential to be harvested and for subsequent use of those cover crops for forage, um, that they're still looking into that as well. So we got a little more clarity, maybe a little not so much clarity on some other pieces. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully we can get a lot more after this um, visit to Council Bluffs. I know there is, we can, I know some people can follow along online and everything and kind of hear what they have to say about that. Um, I can always share that link on our Twitter and Facebook as well if people kind of want to follow along. Um, But speaking of uh, kind of politicians in Iowa, Joe Biden is kicking off his campaign tour today, actually, in Iowa. And um, I think he's kind of he's kind of addressing where he stands on ethanol and biofuels Mm. Um, because he kind of took a hit in the polls I saw. Um, he, cause, because he is kind of going more with those oil refineries and more supporting them than there are ethanol producers. So, you know, maybe he's trying to kind of get that, get his foot in the door with Iowa farmers, yeah. And yeah, with, especially be. the corn farmers. So we can see where that leads. Um, he is currently the, I believe, top pick for the Democratic nomination for 2020 campaigning, um, and I believe Bernie Sanders is right after him, mm. so we'll kind of see believe. how this plays out. Yeah, hard to believe we're already talking about uh, the next presidential election. I know. I feel like President Trump just got elected. Yeah, I do too. I do too. <laughs> well, it's going to be a lot of eyeballs on President Trump for the next two years then before we have those elections, and I would say that a large portion of folks are going to be watching what happens with trade deals. We've got the USMCA agreement still kind of up in the air here because of the fragile U.S.-Mexico relationship. We saw today, or really over the past two days, we still don't really have any clarity over whether or not Mexico will be, in fact, making extra ag purchases, as uh, President Trump had said. Sounds like uh, Secretary Perdue and a couple other cabinet members said, you know, we're ready to make those 
purchases, we're ready to make those deals if purchases do come through, but we still don't really know for sure. And it doesn't sound like Mexico is confirming that that is the case. So it sounds like there's really still a pretty fragile relationship there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they were agreeing to all of Trump's terms to kind to get yeah avoid the tariffs stay away from the tariffs Mm -hmm. yes exactly and now they're kind of like oh maybe not but yeah we'll see where that leads yes we will for sure but uh that's really I think about the only news I had for today Madison what other news is jumping out at you I just had one little thing um it really jumped out at me because I'm a huge coffee fanatic um I love coffee I think I drink about five cups a day it's really bad (laughs) but (laughs) I love it. Um, And Brazilian coffee exporters actually shipped, this is in May, they shipped 3.19 million bags of green coffee. And that's 114% more than the previous year. Hmm. And so this has kind of caused prices to sink because obviously we're having more supply and a little bit less demand. Um, So if you want to get your coffee... Now is the time to get it because the prices are the lowest or in May, they were the lowest since at least, I think, 2015. Hmm. Okay. So it sounds like coffee might be on the up and up here. Exactly. All right. Have you, ever, have you ever toured a coffee plantation, Madison? I haven't, but I actually, this is kind of a weird like tidbit of news, but a girl that I graduated high school with, her family owns a coffee plantation in Colombia. Oh, that sounds yeah. very neat. I think and, we, uh, we're going to have to do an Ag News daily trip to Colombia. Check it out. Yes. Check out all the coffee. <laughs> all the coffee. You can drink my share. I don't, I'm not a big coffee drinker. I love the smell. I've just never been on board for the taste. But Yeah. I See, I used to be like that, and then I started drinking it, and now I just drink plain black coffee. Well, more power to you. <laughs> All right. Well, Madison, I think that that does our news for today. We're going to turn it over here to Mike in just a little bit, who has an interesting Tech Tuesday interview with a gentleman who invests in ag tech companies. But what do you say? Should we look at the commodity market prices for today? They're actually pretty good. So uh, what do you say, Madison? Let's do it, Delaney. All right. And of course, our commodity markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group, This is the time, folks, when you want to be able to take advantage of these rallies that we will most likely continue to see, especially in the corn markets. Having a marketing strategy in place can be hard, especially in years like this. But go ahead and give the Zaner Group a call today at 312-277-0050 and see how they can help you create that plan during these volatile times. All right, looking down across the grains for today, corn was definitely the winner Old crop July contract traded up 11 and three quarters cents today at 4.27 and a half. The December new crop contract closed up 12 and a half cents at 4.47. Even it seems that yield drop there for the USDA really did help the corn markets out today. Soybeans, I think, were drug along with the news of corn and wheat rallies. The July soybean contract up a penny on the day at 8.59 and a half. The November up a penny and a quarter to close at 8.87 even. And the wheat pits the July. Contract up nine and a half cents to close at five seventeen even. The December up six and three quarters to close at five thirty one and a quarter. 
Hopping over to look into the livestock pits, it seems we've had some mixed signals here, maybe not quite as excited about the rallies and the grain, especially in the feeder cattle markets. But checking out the live cattle markets first, the June contract up 97.5 cents today to close at 110.67.5. The August up 52.5 cents to close at 106.82.5. In the feeder cattle pits, the August contract shed $1.70, giving up some of yesterday's rally to close at 138.12.5, while the September closed $1.12.5 to close at 138.60. In the lean hog pits, red continues here on the screen with the June contract, shedding 20 cents to close at 79.07.5. The July cut $1.82.5 to close at 84.37.5. And rounding out our markets with the dairy class 3 milk futures, a little green for today. The June class 3 dairy contract up 5 cents to close at 16.35. The July up 13 cents to close at 16.84. That's a look at our markets. Let's turn it over to Mike to hear about today's interesting Tech Tuesday interview. All right, folks. Well, it is hashtag Tech Tuesday. And one of the things we don't often talk about when it comes to ag technology that we highlight on this podcast is how that technology goes from idea to field. In order to bridge that gap, of course, you need financing. You need funding. And one of the people who helps get these companies funded is joining us today, Mr. Spencer Stensrud. He is the VP of Investment at Ag Ventures Alliance. Spencer, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Anytime, Mike. I'm uh, excited to be on the show. Well, let's talk about a little bit. What is Ag Ventures Alliance? We are, uh, at its core, it's really just a group of farmers. Um, we're a cooperative of about 430 farmers. Most of us are in kind of the north-central Iowa area. And we started back in 1998 uh, with developing an ethanol plant. And really, the, the goal was just... What can we do to improve local uh, commodity prices? And we kind of uh, maybe a combination of uh, luck and and other things, but that first deal worked out, and we've we've been at it ever since. I'll be darned. So, how many different growers are part of the cooperative as members? We've got a, my last count was uh, 430 growers. Wow. Wow. And so these yeah. are all growers who are interested in seeing, like you say, technology. They're interested in seeing things that can provide a return on the farm, whether it's that initial project, an ethanol plant, adding some basis improvement to that local area, or more recently, you guys have really been focusing a lot on the ag tech space. Um, what was that transition like from going, you know, brick and mortar ethanol that, that growers can understand to technology and code and, how how did your members make that adjustment? You know, it's been it's been gradual, and I don't think it was necessarily intentional. But uh, the the mission is the same, and that we want to invest in opportunities that increase profitability on the farm. And so, so back in the late '90s, there was a new technology that uh, made ethanol plants an attractive project. Um, and and now today we're excited about things like autonomous autonomous equipment and and the magical world of microbes 
and all sorts of other things. Well, let's talk about some of the things you're excited about. Bring us up to speed on a couple of the projects you funded that have made it past the idea stage and are now either out in fields or, or getting close to being out in fields. Yeah, so the uh, a couple that you can find out in the field right now would be uh, Smart Egg. I know you're familiar with them. I think you were an MC at, at an event where they pitched that not too long ago. You uh, bet. We've had uh, founder while. Colin Hurd on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that would be that's an exciting company that developed uh, an aftermarket kit to make your tractor autonomously drive a grain cart around through the field. Um, I know in my uh, my dad and my two-man operation, it sure would be nice if I didn't have to jump out of the semi and into the grain cart and go uh, catch the corn and bring it back to the semi and make it back in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how long have you guys been working with Smart Ag? Uh, we, uh, we were early in that deal. I think that, gosh, it was... I mean, it was it was his first investment round, so okay. I think that was uh, yeah. I'd have to. I think it's, I'd have to look up the date. And, sure, it's been a minute or know, two. But it, yeah, yeah, it's been a couple of years. Absolutely. And so now that is one that you have been able to watch. I, I believe they're based up there in Ames. You've you've seen them start with the, the project, the prototype, the idea. Now I, I know this last fall they had demos out running. I, I it's incredible to see that get commercialized. It it is, yeah. So I I try to make it to every kind of field day that I can for them because it's just amazing. <laughs> to watch the tractor drive through the field by itself. And, right. Uh, it's like I, I can just hardly ever believe that it's really working. That's um, crazy. But it does. It so, does. It does, and it's going to bring a lot of change yeah. to a lot of growers' operations. What are some of the other things that you guys are investing in that that your members are particularly excited about? Okay. Well, so another company, and this is actually another uh, startup that's based in Iowa, but uh, it's called Rantizo. They have developed some sprayer technology that um, that they add on the drones that uh, that kind of reduces the payload so that drones can carry enough liquid to get a few acres sprayed. And that technology is advancing and uh, becoming more uh, more viable in the market. So that that one has kind of attracted a lot of the attention of growers, especially when you think about the a super wet spring that we've had and we can't get out there to put a burn down on or we get it planted and don't get the burn down on and need to get uh, get that uh, sprayed before you can get a tractor back out there. These guys have found a way to start making that work. It's not maybe not all the way there for broad acre applications, but uh, they're they're doing a couple trials this summer where they'll do late season fungicide only in uh, diseased areas, and also uh, they're filling in some wet spots with uh, broadcast cover crop applications. Interesting. Um, so the, I so, mean, no yeah. compaction with a drone. Exactly, and uh, the they've got the downdraft of the props that I think has they're starting to see is. Uh, 
increasing coverage and they're doing some electrostatic spraying that helps with coverage. So it helps that keep the keep the sprays on target and they're able to stay right over the crop canopy the whole time without running anything over. So it's uh, pretty cool pretty cool technology there it really is it's fascinating to watch drones go from being a super expensive toy just uh, six seven eight years ago to being something that we can actually develop uh, an roi with now on uh, on some of these operations right and that's uh that's been kind of the exciting thing to i call it like drone 2.0 because it started off it was just kind of this diagnosis tool where it was cool to buy an expensive drone and fly it, but kind of our best case scenario is that maybe if you it, fly it on exactly the right day, you can see your tile lines in the field. But uh, now with batteries getting better and technology getting better, there's we're starting to see some real uh, real use cases for them. So for sure, it's um, going to be interesting to watch Rantizo as they develop their solution even further. Yes. Now, another thing you mentioned is a topic that, kind of like drones, it exploded here in the past couple of years. It's something that I think growers get bombarded with every spring, and that's microbials. That's the idea of, of doing something with these microbes that live in our soil. And you mentioned you guys have, have gotten involved with, uh, with one or more of those companies. We have. Uh, so it's exciting, and the scary thing is that even the experts uh, – don't necessarily know everything that's happening in uh, with some of these products and um, but I recently was at an event and had a had an expert on the panel and the first thing he said was if you can dream it a microbe can do it hmm. so there's there's a lot of really smart people out there uh, searching for what these trillions of microscopic bugs uh, do for humans and for soil and uh, all kinds of other cases. So I'm going to ask you a question, Spencer. As the VP of investment, you get to help really kind of steer these decisions. And I know a lot of farmers are faced with these decisions every spring. We look at this multitude of new companies and new products that are coming out in this sector. How do you decide who to go with from an investor's perspective? What do you look at in a company that's in such an emerging field to help you make a decision to to write that check? Well, Mike, we do things a little bit differently. Uh, being a, a cooperative of farmers, we try to make sure that we have farmers involved on the front end of these decisions. So it's kind of, uh, it's almost like we've got this pre-built um, vetting process where we make sure that a farmer understands if there's value on the farm before we go anywhere with with the deal so it's just really built into our process we have farmers on our investment committee um i'm working with the startups every day and also farm up here in north iowa with my dad so it's uh it's just kind of a key piece um, so basically like if if i'm a member I would have tried a product, had really great luck with it, been pleased with the customer service. I, I could then call a meeting and say, hey, this is something we ought to look at. Is that kind of how it works? You know, it, it could work that way, but a lot of times 
we're investing at the stage where it's uh, it might just be a guy with an idea and he doesn't even have a product built yet. So, oh, sure. So it's more where we have uh, we have our committee and uh, um, farmers on on kind of the front end vetting the idea just for the basic does this add value to my farm and how can I implement this and it, to make sure it's kind of on the right track and we know that uh, we know that not all of them are going to work and but it just uh, to get really good products and new things you have to try some and you win some and you lose some right you've got to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks <laughs> that's right so before we let you go, Spencer, as you look out in the world of AgTech, of course, we're seeing a very challenging spring for growers. We've seen commodity prices. Well, now, now they're improving, but you know, a lot, not a lot of guys have stuff to sell into this improving market. It's just a, a challenging year for growers. What are some of the bright spots in the world of AgTech? What are things that get you and your members excited about when you look at the future of technology as it relates to agriculture? Well, first of all, uh, so we've all been collecting a lot of data for uh, quite a few years, and the way that I see it is a lot of that data is starting to become usable when it hasn't always in the past. So uh, that is going to be exciting and something that uh, almost everyone's going to be able to take advantage of. And then we've got a lot of companies addressing the labor challenges of, you know, requiring highly skilled labor, but in a seasonal way. So, uh, so there's a lot of different ways to approach that problem. And then just finally, this whole regenerative agriculture movement and soil health movement and starting to, starting to really understand biology and the different, uh, different kind of modes of action of nature, I think has, has the potential to help us all become more profitable and, and continue to improve at doing our job. Certainly. You know, if you can measure it, you can change it is one of the, the things I've heard said. And it's just a matter of being able to interpret that data as it relates to agronomy and soil health and markets and everything else and bringing that to the grower. It's very, very cool stuff. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Now, Spencer, let me ask you, is the, is Ag Ventures Alliance open to new investors or are you guys a closed club, so to speak? No, we're we're open to new members. Uh, we want we want anybody who wants to get involved in the mission of improving farm profitability to join the organization. It's a pretty minor commitment, but you can check it out at eggventuresalliance.com. Fantastic, listeners, check that out. Just if nothing else, get on their website, see what products and and companies they've backed. They've got an impressive track record so far, and it'll be very cool to watch what happens as we go to the future. Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yes, thank you, Mike. Well, Madison, interesting stuff that they're doing there. We always are very interested in technology. We've got a lot of great technology that uh, we can interact with people on social media and through our website. Do you want to tell folks how they can do that? Yes, definitely. On Twitter and Facebook, you can always find us at Ag News Daily as well as Instagram. I just made an account, so hopefully we can get that rolling here. Um, and then uh, 
listeners can always find us on the web at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. Absolutely. And I want to put a special plug in. We've got our Meet the Intern post out now. If folks <laughs> want to learn a little bit more about you, Madison, they can check that out on our website as well. But Madison, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.